I'm Andy Morikawa, and this is Trustees Without Borders. Today's program features Mark Valdez, a director, writer, and cultural organizer who partners with communities, organizations, civic institutions, and others using theater and creative tools to address community needs and to lift up community voices and stories. Joining me are Trustees Without Borders interviewers Sarah Plummer and C. Miranda Flax Sermonek. Would you both please introduce yourselves to our listeners? Sarah? Hi, everybody. I'm Sarah Plummer. I'm a recovering journalist, a proud Appalachian, and currently a PhD candidate at Virginia Tech. And I'm researching and studying the ways that bread and puppet theater mobilizes performing objects in their performance style and spaces. Hey, everybody. I'm C. Miranda. I'm a theater maker and also a joy maker and a little bit of a troublemaker. Thank you. We're honored to have as our guest today, Mark Valdez. Mark is a director, writer, and cultural organizer. His work's been seen at community venues and professional theaters across California, from a tomato field in Grayson to a decommissioned Catholic cathedral in downtown LA, from the stages in La Peña Cultural Center in Berkeley, to the stages of the Ricardo Montalban Theater, CTG, in Hollywood. Nationally, Mark has worked at theaters such as the Alliance Theater in Atlanta, where he created A Road to a Dream, a community collaboration along a 10-mile stretch of the Buford Highway to shed light on the toll our nation's broken immigration policies have on families and communities. He's worked at Arizona's Child's Play Theater, where he adapted and directed Gary Soto's book, Chopto's Kitchen, about a lowrider Gato from East LA, and Trinity Rep in Providence, where he directed A Christmas Carol to include 85 community choirs. His play, Highland Park is Here, won the Audience Award at the Highland Park Film Festival and will be featured in the Rey Encuentro, the National Latinx Theater Festival. Valdez is the recipient of various grants and awards, including a Legacy Artist Fellowship from the California Arts Council, a Princess Grace Award, and the 2019 Johnson Fellowship for the Artists Transforming Communities. He's a current board member of Double Edge Theater and Cornerstone Theater Company and a former board member of TCG. Presently, Mark's working on The Most Beautiful Home, maybe, a multi-city project that aims to influence housing policy, utilizing performance, cultural organizing, and creative community development strategies. Thanks so much, Mark. We're so glad that you're joining us digitally. Thank you. Thank you for uh, the invitation to be with you. Let me now turn you to our interviewers, Sarah Plummer and C. Miranda Flax Sermonek. C. Hey, so excited to be here with you after <laughs> having you here at Virginia Tech for that amazing talk. Or it was less of a talk and more of an experience, I think, which is really <laughs> cool. Um, and in that talk, you started, you referenced a little bit of your childhood memories. So I'm curious for you, what was the creative background of your childhood or what memories or sensations come to mind where creativity and imagination was really present for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I grew up in uh, early childhood in rural West Texas. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, for the earliest part of my, of my life, my parents were migrant farm workers. And so they, uh, they were traveling mostly through the Southwest, uh, working the fields. 
and uh, and so there's a part of of that experience, just the the the, the movement. Uh, uh, you know, again, this is probably the earliest part of my childhood, and 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 I do kind of think these these little memories of seeing the rows uh, of, of of crop, usually kind of lettuce or, or onions, and and um, and they they were just so long, you know, and and I remember just as a kid just. Uh, Thinking that that they, it's like the other side of the world, like like what's on the other side of that row was the other side of the world, and just wondering like what what is there that is not here, and so so uh, always this this curiosity uh, uh, that that kind of and I think the curiosity sparked the imagination because then once you start to ask that question then then you start to imagine like oh well you know like everything from like maybe there's a dairy queen that we could like go to dairy queen or uh uh you know or maybe it's like somebody who is just like me but on that side of of the row you know so 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 there's just kind of that that is part um you know part survival skill maybe coping mechanism you know just like i'm here we are kind of in a field what do you do it's also kind of like passing time and like what you do as a kid to just kind of like well i'm gonna to have to entertain myself for for these hours and it's really early and um and so 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 there's that and then you know there's something that struck me um oh a handful of years ago so my 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 family grew up in this west texas town uh and it's a you know we were the large town for all the small towns kind of around us, you know, we were like maybe 12,000, you know, population. Uh, and people would come in and get their groceries and, and, and you know, and some entertainment. But I, I, you know, what it struck me is that my parents, you know, we moved when I was a teenager, we moved to Dallas suburbs. And kind of in hindsight, I recognize that that move allowed me to imagine a different kind of life. It, it's like moving from from a small town where I I know what that what life in that small town is and like there's plenty of examples of what your life is going to be and that's it like it's hard to imagine something that isn't what is already in front of you and then moving to this to this you know big city. Uh, there were so many other kind kinds of lives that I could see, and that that were made things that were made visible to me, or career options, or like entertainment options, or just kinds of people, like people from all over the world and languages, and and suddenly, like being in this being in the city, just let me imagine a whole lot of other things, and I think like as a queer kid. Like also just like how to be how to be gay, you know, like that it's okay, it was safe. And this was like, I'm gonna put this kind like I'm 50 now. So like that question really was kind of a very real, like like your safety was actually something that you had to consider. And it still is, but you know, especially kind of so. And um, you know, so so something about like just like uh, place and I think about place and imagination and how that gives you context for what, for, for imagination. It's amazing to hear you kind of rooting your creative positioning in place, because I don't, I think that's something that we can definitely see through the 
as a through line through your work and um, with the most beautiful home is like this kind of looking at what's in front of you and imagining other things. And um, I don't think it comes naturally to everyone. It's really exciting to hear that it was something, you know, so early in your, in your life. Um, so, you know, your talk on campus in February, um, well, first of all, I was really sad because it could have gone on a lot longer. I felt like we had so many things to discuss in our group and we didn't have time. Um, but I think it left a lot of us with, you know, questions and thoughts and, and wanting to know more. And one of those is that um, you said something along the lines of, and this was a rough kind of paraphrase that I took down at the time. Um, you said something along the lines of, when we are truly lost, we are forced to reevaluate what is around us. We understand life's purpose and we make new meanings and take new directions. And I took that as meaning new directions in like art and like politics. Yeah. And so I'm wondering as a theater director, you know, how do you bring in this idea of being lost into theater making? Sure, it's a great question. Um, so something about imagination that, that I've learned is that our minds can only imagine what we know, <laughs> what we've seen, which is ironic, right? We think the imagination lets us see what we don't know or what we, what we haven't seen, but that's, not how, that's just not how our bodies work. Um, so, so, um, so you end up kind of, kind of uh, uh, reworking reconfiguring, kind of re-looking at what you've already seen, what you've already known, what you've already experienced. And you don't have to know it personally, but you just have to have seen it so that you can kind of build off of it. So so in this in this in this notion of being lost, and, and I do believe that we are lost. Uh, uh, I think we are we are trying to find our way. I think we're we're grasping, and I think I think I don't think this is a new thing. I don't think it's a failure of, of our generation or, or, or our current times. I think this has been happening for a while. Is um, is uh, I, I think there's a way to look at it as something good versus. Um, like a failing, you know, like, like when you're lost, you can be like, oh, like I, I did something wrong and now I didn't take the direction or I left my group or something, you know, like, like you can, it's easy to blame yourself for being lost. Right. And, uh, and, and, and that, that really isn't useful <laughs> where we are other than recognizing we're lost. And when we're lost, you have to stop, right. You have to take a moment and then just kind of look around. <clears throat> And and lost is is also like like um, being found is also part of 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 um, colonialism. Mm. And it's also like when you start to name things and you you like you know we were founded our city was founded on you know right like so it's like founding and find right you know in the you start to name it you start to explain it, you start to own it, you know, like you make it yours and therefore you're no longer lost because it's now, this is mine and I know where I am because I named it and I built it and I made it and I gave it to my descendants and now it's theirs, right? And so, so, uh, so, so there's a part of, it's a, it's a complex notion, right? This idea of, of being lost, uh, but, but in that, it's in that lost space that that you um, you have to figure out. You have to remind yourself where you're trying to get to. You have to look at at, at the things around you not as foreign, 
but as as it's like you you are the outsider to where you are right and and then you have to you have to like look at, at your surroundings and, and where you are as as um as a place where you can be you know and what does it what does it mean to coexist right? and what does it mean to like start to now like make your way through these spaces and and what is what if where you're going is no longer the route that you were on and and you have to you just have to ask yourself it's just a, it's just a period of re-examination of reframing of re of you know of, for yourself you know uh, uh, of what's important what's necessary how are you going to survive uh, uh, versus how are you going to build empires or how are you going to like make it all yours you know and 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 in doing so, you you have to just um, when you're lost, you can you can that's how you will be found. <laughs> you know, like if we always if we're if we're never lost, then 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 we're never going to let ourselves. Uh, we're never going to let others in, right? We're never going to let others. We're not. We're never going to. We're not. We're never going to understand where we are, we're never going to stand like where we're trying to get to. We were never, you're never going to stand what's around us, who's around us. We're never going to let others help, help guide us, you know, all those things. And I just think that if we did all those, if in this moment of being lost as a nation and perhaps as individuals, uh, if we just kind of let ourselves do that, where could we go? You know, what, what, how can we, how could, how would we build our communities? How would we, what, what would we what would we do what would we make how would we live and and being lost kind of asks you to kind of you know demands that you ask all those questions so so for me it's it's like it, it can be something beautiful and i also recognize that being lost is frightening and you feel insecure and you're scared and you're you're constantly kind of tense and stressed because there's you feel that there's danger around you or you don't know if there's danger around you and so you're constantly on your guard and that is exhausting and i also think that that is part of the moment that we're in is i think there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of being on guard and there's this there's, there's just um and it, it takes a toll you know so, so i also don't want to glance over that part of this moment when you go into a community or you're working with a group or performers who don't feel lost and who feel very certain in their beliefs or in how things should be done or how theater should be made or they absolutely know how to act like is there something that you can do or strategy or how do you get them to to shake up their kind of firm feelings to feel lost or to to try to reposition them to think of new things yeah i mean i think the invitation to imagine is kind of the first thing it's like the easiest thing you know, because imagination takes you into a new territory, new ground, into something that is not the ground that you stand on, right? So, so like, and the invitation to be in a play for people who don't normally do that in their everyday lives, like, so you are now in very uncomfortable territory. And it's that, that, that Maria Rosario Jackson has a thing, I think I've said it in that talk, of like, you have to get unsettled to get unstuck. And it's that unsettling, right? It's that being lost. It's like kind of variations, like we're various ways of saying the same thing. Maybe uh, uh, it's in those moments where where you're not comfortable, 
right? That you that 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 you 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 can't rely on everything that you know and everything that you trust and everything that's familiar. Like it's in that that you that you reevaluate and that you open yourself up for something else. And so I think I I don't think it has to be. You know, really elaborate situations. I think it's actually very simple, and I think it happens when when you meet somebody, and and suddenly the two of you are having to figure out how, what does it mean to talk to this to this other person, and how are we going to communicate? And they may or may not speak the way that I do, and they may or may not have the same cultural pop culture touchstones, or you know, like I mean, like you you have to in that moment, you are on on new, uncomfortable, unsettled space and and that becomes an opening to to something else you know so it can be that simple i definitely want to ask you about um your new position well as of february i suppose newish mm -hmm. um as artistic director of mixed blood theater um and i'm so fascinated by this idea of you coming in and taking over this role after a founding you know, artistic director had been there for 50 years. It seems absolutely daunting. <laughs> Wondering about your experience <laughs> coming in and, um, you know, how do you transition, you know, something that's been, how do you transition that in, in within that kind of legacy and like, what are challenges that you're facing and what what's your experience been like? Well, this is being lost, right? This is it. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, if it feels daunting, it's because because it seems like it's daunting. It's probably because it is. Um, yeah. So so uh, so mixed blood is uh, is one of my artistic homes. So so uh, uh, part of the story is I have a fifteen year relationship with the company as a guest artist. So I've never really been there as like in a full time year round. I've I've had you know thanks to the Door Street Foundation, I, I did two residencies, two six month residencies. Uh, uh, over over the course of that time, so so like you know like that's that's not nothing, right? You know that's a good chunk of time to be there, and uh, and so in, in in all of those moments, I've gotten to know the company. Uh, uh, Jack Ruler, who's the artistic director, the founder, is 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 one of my closest, dearest friends, and so there's also um, just a relationship there. And over the years, just as friends, just commiserating. Over over running organizations, you know, in moments where I was an executive director of an organization, we would get on the phone and say like, "Oh, like June thirtieth is coming. Like, are, are you gonna are you gonna end in the red or in the black?" And I, sorry, I gotta I gotta get on the phone and make calls to some donors to try to try to end on the positive side, you know. Uh, uh, so so you know, like you know, any number of phone conversations around just kind of running an institution. Uh, uh, of course, that's always very different from the realities of a specific institution with a specific history and specific work and specific people. And and in that, you know, I, I've been trying to, here's where I think like the, the, the various work that I've done in communities has been very helpful because I'm entering a community, right? It's a, it's a theater company. It's got a following. It's got an audience. It's got supporters. It's got donors. So... So there's the community of the Twin Cities, there's the community of Minneapolis, there's a community of the Cedar Riverside neighborhood where the theater is, and then there's the theater itself as a community. And so in all of these things, just constantly reminding myself like how to, you know, how to enter community. Right? You just enter community humbly, you enter the community listening, 
you enter community with a tremendous amount of respect for what's already there and who's already there and and you're the you're the guest or right? you're you're the outsider and and at some point i will i will not be the guest but but certainly in these early early days uh uh i'm taking that approach of just like like you all you all tell me like you all like like teach me help me tell me what I need to know. Like I, I, I'm really great at asking questions and I'm really great at listening. And I think I'm just going to do a lot of that and then try to try to see where that leads us. And then I think hopefully in doing so, we end up going to the places where the community wants to go and communities kind of in a really large, expansive kind of way. Um, so yeah, so, so it's exciting. It's exciting and it certainly is, is, is indeed daunting. <laughs> Um, it's amazing to hear somebody coming into a leadership role and and talking about listening to people and I mean it's it's excellent to hear. There was a moment in the interview process where the board I think it was that question that point in the interview where the board is asking you to present a season. You know, they they never posed the question that way, but, but that's really what they were trying to get at. And and I just I didn't um I didn't do that. I, I just said like I don't I don't know. And you know, which was which was a, a complex, complicated moment in the process. And it's like it's hard for me to it's hard for me to say like this is the season because I just don't know the community well. Like I don't know what folks want. I don't know what's needed. And so I I can I can tell I can give you a list of plays that I like or artists that I like, but that's not that's that's gonna tell you more about my taste and aesthetics than it is gonna tell you what we're gonna program and what we're gonna do. And and uh, you know I just figured like we, we have to we have to talk we have to listen we have to understand kind of context and where the community's at and right and this is Minneapolis right the, this is this is where George Floyd was murdered and and just thinking about entering this community like I'm just mindful like you just gotta listen like you just gotta like I'm I'm just like just I'm just coming in trying to be humble like, I I don't know anything like, I know nothing. And and just gonna just gonna come in with with a lot of respect for for everyone that's there. Um, shifting to uh, talk a little bit about the most beautiful home, maybe. Um, it's meant to spark policy solutions and address housing inequality, both like inside and outside of traditional theater spaces. I'm curious about how performing outside or non-traditional theater spaces maybe helps people reconsider public and private spaces in a city like does you know the transition out of the theater kind of help them spark um ideas about housing uh i think so. i mean i think there's i think there's two questions there uh, one is uh, uh um the idea of, of 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 art outside the theater right outside the frame of of a theater frame and then the other is kind of a a, a kind of a theory of change that's maybe part of of, of mix of the most beautiful home and so, so I, I want to take those, they'll overlap, but I just kind of want to name these two things because I want to kind of answer them in, in two different ways. Uh, uh, to the first point, like, I, I yes, any time that art happens outside of our institutions, I think is great. Because I think, I think we have a tendency as human beings, like we've been, when, when the arts were professionalized, it suddenly meant that I'm no longer good enough or that's not for me for the lay person, right? And so it just, it put art inside of institutions behind, you know, within a frame. 
and that's where art belongs. And art stopped happening in my house, in my life, because because it's not in that frame, in that building, right? So I think it's I think I think like the most important thing that we can do as artists is just like let's get the hell out of our buildings and into our communities, and just like really just point to like art is all around us. It's in the music that comes from the radio at your family barbecue where people are singing along and having a great time, and it's the little kids dancing in their kitchens and you know, uh, uh, in their, in their school auditoriums. And it's, you know, it's sitting in a park, sketching and drawing or tagging a building, you know, like it is, it is the tattoo artist that is doing that beautiful thing on your skin. It is the, the, all the people in their kitchens making this beautiful, wonderful, delicious food. Like it, it just like art is everywhere. And it's not just in our buildings, and and we've got to we have to release it from that, right? Uh, um, so that's first thing. That that philosophy, that that belief, helped inform the most beautiful home, maybe you know, which which really was how do we get policymakers and how do we get advocates, people who are very cynical, I uh, don't understand many who don't understand art and, and you know the the. the art as a, as a tool or, or as, as something that could help, uh, how do we get folks to, um, to experience that? And it wasn't going to be like, come into this theater and come into the space and do this. You know, we, it's our largely kind of us entering their communities, you know, the communities of the advocates and activists and uh, government workers, developers, and, 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 how do, and, and within the context of their work and their conversations, how can we employ the, the tools of imagination and creativity so that they start to experience what is possible? And then for audiences, how do you look around and you know, how do you start to understand what has been a, you know, like like the you know, like all of our systems, they were built to be opaque. You know, they were built to live in darkness, they were built not to be seen, they were built to keep you outside of it. And so how do you how do you create enough cracks that you can put some light in there so that so that your voters so that you're you're just your lay person your your theater goer um, can start to get a glimpse of what's happening of what 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 this system how the system functions and so so we do we you know the most beautiful home is going to happen in, in, in any number of performance venues from um, you know, in Minneapolis, it was in a former car dealership, you know, in the, in the body shop, kind of the, the, the mechanic space of a former car dealership. Yeah, uh, uh, in, uh, in Mesa, Arizona, it's going to be in a, we're inaugurating this high tech, brand new, amazingly beautiful um, performance venue that is, you know, that is, that is beautiful, you know, uh, uh, and, and very much part of that. The, the frame that I was talking about earlier, right? Uh, uh, but in, in, but but how we fill these spaces, you know, it's with that imagine it's that with that invitation to imagine, and to think about your home, and think about who gets to have a home, and to look at at you know uh, our our places, and and who who ultimately just trying to you know get at who gets to decide who can be in our community or not, and that's really what we're talking about with housing, right? It's like. We don't want you here, so we're not going to let. We're not going to make it possible for you to live here. And we do that through zoning. We do that through economic and pricing and jobs and racial covenants, you know, and all these things that that that. I don't, did I answer the question? I feel like I went on of lots of tangents there. So uh, you did definitely. Hmm. 
I'm wondering, Mark, if you can share, I don't know, like an, a story about an aha moment you had during the making of this project that, I don't know, kept you going, <laughs> kept you and Ashley going and doing the work, knowing mm -hmm. that it was important. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm co-creating, thank you for saying I'm co-creating this project with uh, Ashley Sparks, with co-writers, co-directors. And, uh, and it's been, you know, uh, uh, some of the aha moments I think happen. They were, the, you know, I mean, it, it's what happens when you get to work with collaborators. You know, I think we both, uh, we both come from ensemble, from ensemble worlds and, and co-creation is very key to it. And it's just like the co-creation that, that, that uh, she and I get to do, but also that we do with our, our partners we get to invite people you know and i think like uh, uh, i think a couple of moments uh, uh we were talking to early on you know this has been it's been going on for about going on five years now so this is this is a long time project that had about like three years about you know to have three years of development of just talking to people and trying to understand what we were doing and what was necessary and early on uh and the thing that really set us kind of on our road is we're talking to an advocate in in minneapolis actually and we we're just asking about, uh, you know, what were the biggest obstacles? And, and I was fully expecting, because something that, that sometimes happens, people just talk about politics. I'm like, oh, you know, like it's hard that we're, you know, this, the divide is so big and we can't talk to each other. And that, you know, that, that was not an un uncommon answer. But she surprised us and she just said, you know, our, the biggest obstacle that we're facing is that there's a lack of imagination in the policy space. And I was like, what? Like, mind blown. I'm like, yes, talk more, talk more. And she just said that, you know, we, that, that, that within policy, you're focused on the win, right? You're trying to get the policy win, which means that you have to write and create policies that you think you can pass. And so you're, you're having to second guess what is passable, what is winnable. And so your thinking gets smaller and smaller and smaller because you're always trying to get that win. So you're not gonna you're not gonna do the thing that is impossible, right? You're gonna do the thing like, oh, like I think we can get enough people to maybe move us that little half step or that little incremental bit. Meanwhile, the problems, the challenges <laughs> are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And she just she just said like like we have to start imagining much much bigger than what we're doing because we're never going to solve these problems if we can't do if we can't think more. And then they talked about, a lot about how um, you get laughed out of policy spaces, you know, and the, you know, and it's things that we just didn't we you know it's not our community, it's not our space. So so hearing her talk about like if you if you go into a policy space. And you say something like, we should, what would it look like if we had guaranteed housing by 2050? You just get laughed out of the space. You are not taken seriously because it's absurd. Like that idea is absurd. But because it's never on the table, because you never imagine that it's possible, it's never going to happen because it's never even thought of. Like nobody's even going to think about that possibility. No one's even going to try, you know what I mean? Like no one's even going to iterate like, okay, yeah, it may not happen, but what if we tried and then you're going to learn something to try it again, then you'll learn something to try it again, right? Like it's never, ever, 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 ever going to happen because it's never, ever, ever, ever going to get considered. 
right? And so, so what we can do as outsiders, we can just artists like we're not policymakers. So, so you can't. I can't get at, laughed out of the space for, for for mentioning what is seemed as an impossible policy, because I'm not a policymaker. But I at least introduce the idea into the space. And then that way people have to like they can roll their eyes or not, but it's now we're talking about it. And then maybe you know, and I can just say, well, but why not? Yeah, you know, and again, like that's the gift, you know, there's very little good things that come with being an outsider. But this is whatever, like this is the thing, right? Like you're the outsider, and you can you can just ask questions. And so suddenly, like suddenly, you know, suddenly like we're talking about it. And then maybe somebody who, and the thing is, a lot of people who go into housing that we talked about, like they, they're there because they want to do good. Like they want to be of service. They want to be of use. You know, and so suddenly, like it, it starts to wake up that part of people. Like, oh yeah, you know. Uh, so 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 uh, um, so so that was kind of a big aha moment that really put us on our trajectory. Like 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 we're like okay, like we can do something about. It. We've got those tools. That gave us focus, right? So, so that it's a it's a beautiful orientation because um, I'm in this space of wrestling between urban planning and policy, studying it at least, and then being a theater maker. Um, and I love this idea that just having folks who who are working in policy spaces consider it like that. That's already a disruption. And that's already like you've already kind of seeded it. So even if 10 years from now, it's not part of the conversation, maybe it'll be part of the conversation 50 years or maybe you're making space for it for the generations in the future um, for their children or their children's children or the people that they mentor. Um, so I don't know, like there's something so hopeful about that. So hopeful about that, but just and also this idea of the absurd, like. It, that it is absurd and then it's okay that they're laughing like the feeling that it's okay for them to like kind of snicker because it's still in them and they and they've been forced or encouraged to to like reckon with it or consider it and wonder the, about it in the most beautiful home you know knowing that that's what we're going to ask people to do knowing that there's a high level of cynicism that we created this play and the play is the characters the main characters in the play are zebras like animals and part of it is like, okay, so so knowing our audience, we're just going to put you in this absurd, in quotes, kind of, you know, kind of in, you know, italics kind of uh, uh, world where you just have to accept a level of absurdity, right? There's a zebra singing torch songs in German, right? So that's where we start. So already you, you just, as an audience member, you have to go with it, right? You just have to say, okay, great. So I'm going to accept that zebras are talking to me and that they can sing in German. So when I'm asked to consider that everybody has a house, I've already accepted this. And so I'm just going with it and say, okay, then I'm just going to play along and I'm going to, and I'm going to pretend that everyone has a house and I'm going to imagine what that does to a life. And I'm, you know, like, and suddenly you're there and suddenly you can be in that space of like, what we want you to do in your everyday life, you're doing in this in this performance imaginative space, and you're doing it. And if you can do it, what it's like the thing that I said, like once you can imagine it, once you can kind of see it, once you've been kind of presented with what that could look like, your brain can repeat it. Your brain can then imagine 
more. <laughs> and so that's, that's our goal. Right? And it is hopeful. And it is, that's what imagination does for us. And I will say, like, for, for any number of years now, we are imagining really dark things. We're imagining destruction and darkness and hate. And we have bought into this dark imagination. And that is, that is because our arts, our pop culture, our political rhetoric gives us these, these images. And again, our brain will manifest what we've, been, what we've seen. So if that's what we're being shown, if that's what we're being told, that's what our brains will manifest. That's what we will imagine. And so this is really trying to be an antidote. You know, this is trying to a contrast to all of that. Like, no, imagine beautiful. What does a beautiful future look like? And like, how do we invite more people to imagine beautiful things? Wow. Yeah. And connecting it back to, to this idea that the, this project benefits from your role as outsiders. Um, but you've also been working on this project now for, you said, five years. And, and so I'm curious, what, is there anything that's next? Like, are there folks that you will stay in conversation with from this project? Is there a kind of next step for this project or next imaginative phase? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really interested in, uh, in the professional development, this prod in the most beautiful home as professional development you know, for, for people in housing. So, so what if you came, you know, this is a sector that understands continuing education and professional development. And you go to the workshop, you go to the seminar. And what if the seminar was this 90 minute performance, right? And that's, you know, you're being asked as your, you know, like within your day, log on to Zoom. And this is, this is your workshop, your professional development workshop for the day. And then we do some follow-up where we can just start to give some tools and start to, to, to show ways of, of, of integrating arts into, into daily work for people working in, in the housing sector, government workers, developers, commercial, nonprofit, all, you know, everyone within, within housing. And what if we start to make this kind of a, a series, you know, that, that really starts to impart tools it starts to impart ways of looking at problem solving, of, of ways of looking at community engagement, of talking to people, you know, of reimagining what is possible, you know. And so, so, so really thinking about this, looking at this project not as a performance, but as as a as a workshop, you know. And I think that's the future of, of the of this of this of this project of really kind of spending a couple of years doing that and then and then build it out you know, and then if that if we did this now now what how do we follow it up that sounds amazing very cool thanks for sharing that yeah wow and it's yeah. all an experiment i you know who knows if this is going to work who knows if people want this you know everything so far has been very positive <clears throat> and people uh people seem really interested but but uh but it is something it is something new and uh and it, and, and there is we're, this is a this is a community that you know, this housing community is is very practical and pragmatic, and so this idea of art you know is often seen as a waste of time, and so 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 I'm you know it's not going to be easy. Hmm. 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 Well, well, we'll I imagine that you have some champions or advocates, folks that have been embedded in your work that you've built relationships with that can yeah. bring things forward with you. Exactly, and I think that's what we're we're gonna we're gonna 
get some help. Yeah. 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 So cool. Wow. I love that. Oh, okay. I can ask more questions about that, but I'll, yes. but I won't. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and so you have this wonderful sustainable project with a, with a possible way forward, but who knows if it'll work. I think it might, <laughs> I think it will. Um, and part of that is because of your, your legacy of learning, right? So you were part of Cornerstone Theater Company. Um, and I'm sure you've had many wonderful people in your life, makers, you, you talk about working collaboratively and the impact that that has on you. And so I'm wondering if there are particular people that you'd like to lift up that have impacted oh, yeah. you as a person, um, as a old organizer, theater practitioner? And if so, would you share a story about that? Oh my goodness. Uh, so many, so many, 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 many people. I, I, I want to share two. One is uh, John O'Neill, who has left us, who is, uh, is kind of, uh, uh, was just a, a force and a brilliant artist and a wonderful human being and who was just really generous and uh, and I started working, he I started working at the network of ensemble theaters. I was kind of the founding artistic director of the organization. And um, and he, and John was was a member of NET and was very present in the early days. And very John was just instrumental in in in, in key figure in in community work, community engaged work, um, social justice, arts based social justice movement. Um, and, uh, and, uh, it's a lot, you know, I, I, start my job at net and I'm reaching out to all the members and I, and I, I, I ran into John at a, at a conference and, um, I was, I was on a panel and he comes up to me afterwards and he said, let's just go get Kate to join me, join me for beer. And we sat down and, and we're just talking and he's just sharing history and stories. And he, he looks at me and he says, you know what, you have a fire in you. You've got, you've got this fire and, uh, and uh, uh, you're going into work, and 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 that fire, the people are going to take all the air, and and it's gonna it's gonna dwindle that flame. But but hold on to it, like hold on to it, and take these breaths because that that that's going to give it the air to keep burning, and uh, and and don't lose that passion. And and you know, and and we had just been having this really long talk, but it it, it was just kind of it's something I go back to a lot, you know, especially like in the in the on those days where you just feel like oh my god like what am i doing like, this is going nowhere uh you know i think i think about john o'neill and 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 so so i just kind of want to lift him up and and the other person is somebody early on in my career bill roush who was the uh founder of cornerstone theater company who uh in a moment where i i didn't know where I belonged in this field, or if I belonged in this field, and I certainly did not feel welcome in this field. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just really grasping. And and Bill just said, come here. Like, here's an invitation to come work with Cornerstone. And then the, he kind of made the invitation to stay at Cornerstone, to keep coming back. And just, he just made a lot of investments he's like you know when i was in grad i was in grad school he's like here we can employ you like why don't you come and work with us and so it was like money in my pocket for a grad student who didn't have it and the, uh, an invitation to join the ensemble an invitation to to make art to an invitation to sit down and you know have breakfast and talk about art and talk about aesthetics and talk about history and 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 just he just made time and he just he just 
she just made me feel like um like I belonged in in her and in the and at the cornerstone and and, and just like what how how you know like I I without that invitation I don't know I didn't I, I really don't know what my career would be like you know but it was like somebody who just who just saw something and decided to to make an investment you know and so so a big a big thank you to those two gentlemen and i can keep going on because i i wouldn't be here if not for any number of people like my friend and collaborator Ashley sparks i think about my friends nick sly who just asks so many wonderful questions i think about uh linda paris bailey i think about london i I think about you know people I've never met who were who, who kind of helped form the field the Margot Jones and 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 um, Nine Events and Zelda Fitch handlers of the world who just kind of founded a movement. I, you know, there's so many people the, the the good folks at Universes, you know, performance ensemble, you know, Nancy Keystone. Yeah, I like I said, the, the, I'm here because a lot of people were performing. Luis Valdez, you know, I can never forget him. So anyway, so to so lots of people to thank and, and, and lots of people who I don't lose, uh, I don't forget that I'm here because of them. <laughs> thank you so much. I love that story um, around John and I've heard, I mean, I didn't meet John, but I feel like I, I, I know pieces of him from different people in my life. Yeah. And I love that idea of, because when I, when I think about breath, sometimes I think about like expelling or like calming <laughs> but i love the idea of the use of breath to like fuel yourself and fuel the fire actually and the passion um and i love that he saw that in you and that it's this kind of touchstone moment for you i do think there's something in that you know about these moments of being seen you know because i think both of those are, those are two stories of just having been seen mm -hmm. and i think i think i i think in the world as artists especially because our field is crowded you know, it's easy not to be seen, you know, because we can we can look at a crowd of other artists, but but we don't always see the people in the crowd. And uh, and these were instances where, like, in the crowd, early, early, early in my career, somebody saw me, and and what a difference that made. Wow. Yeah, I think if I asked myself this question, I would probably come to moments exactly like that. Moments of being seen. Yeah. I love that. So I think we have time for maybe one more question, maybe two, we'll see how, how this question goes um, and where it lands us. Um, and so I'm wondering, where is your heart right now? Is there a particular project that you're actively working on that you're excited to talk about? Or is it more of a journey that you're excited to go on? What's your heart doing and where is it floating? Yeah, uh, I'm thinking a lot about Thinking about uh, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, and there's there's several things. This is going to be hopefully not a long-winded answer, but but not not a direct answer. Uh, uh, I think a lot about aging right now, and uh, and 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 I think about you know how many people I know and how many friends I know who who I think about dementia <clears throat> and uh, and an aging population and a system that. We, we in our country are just are not ready to deal with what is now happening. And, uh, and I worry a lot that um, 
people who are focused on making money are going to come in and step in and make a lot of money off of a lot of people who are at their most vulnerable and need the most help. And it's, it, I fear for people and families. And so I think about how my art making can be useful in that conversation, <clears throat> uh, uh, which is kind of a, the larger part of where, where I spend a lot of artistic energy is just like, how are we using our art to inform our policies? Like it, it really like, how are we like, like can we just embed artists in corporations and in and in government institutions and in nonprofits and like like we've got to like we've got to start imagining beautiful futures and and art is going to be the thing that lets us do it and other ways of working and art is going to be the way that that does it and we have to just get in there which goes back to to to, to Sarah what you were talking about like we've got to get out of our buildings like it's not going to happen making a play in our building, you know, that, that will always, that should always exist, but the world needs our energies in other places right now. <clears throat> and so, so I think a lot about that. And then I think about two projects in particular that I'm thinking about. Uh, uh, one is, is a project that Asha Sparks and I are thinking about, which is, you know, thinking about like, um, thinking about aging and uh, aging queer populations, you know, and if you're kind of, I think about the queer communities and, and um, if you don't have kids and you don't have, you know, folks who are going to help transition you when you don't always know that it's time to maybe not live on your own or it's time that maybe you should stop driving or like, like when there's, when there's not that, that family member there, you know, what, what are the, what are the, what does it look like, especially in the queer context for queer people aging, aging and queer aging is something, you know, I also just want to point out, you know, because I was having this conversation is that we lost a generation to AIDS, right? And so, so we don't have those examples, <laughs> like the generation that would be aging right now is, is absent. And so we're, we're making something up as a queer community, like we don't, we don't know what it looks like in a queer context. So, so I'm just kind of naming that, right? Uh, uh, and then I think about, you know, particularly entering, kind of coming to Minnesota now and this new, with this new job, I think about, you know, the Twin Cities are, are blue dots in red, in a red state. And, uh, and I think about like, what does it look like what, to, to go outside of the blue dots and work in and with kind of a red state uh, uh, and, you know, and, and those conversations and, you know, and, and again, like getting out of the building and <clears throat> and uh, and and being in you know being lost, you know, being unsettled. Ah, oh, there's so much there that I could riff on. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of blue dots in red states. That's a nationwide phenomenon. Yeah, that's huge, huh? I have to say, like, just as someone who is like navigating an aging parent and caregiving currently, um, I, I think it, it's definitely a feeling of being lost, um, and it's kind of, it makes me excited maybe about future projects that you might have because there is this moment of nobody prepares you to take care of an an elderly parent and we're not in uh, most of us aren't or at least culturally many white people aren't in intergenerational homes where they see 
how you care for someone who is failing. And um, my experience, like, you know, taking care of my dad has been one where I was super lost, but there have been like beautiful, amazing things that have come out of it. And I'm, I'm suddenly so excited and I don't, this isn't a question. I was just very excited about, you know, the idea of what, what could come out of a project like that and what we could learn about being lost and and how we care for each other. And then how that might translate into, you know, if I learned to care for my father, how might I learn differently to care for other people in my community and things like that. So it sounds very exciting. Yes. And so this issue is so big, like, like make your own project. Like, like we can all make it and it's still not enough. You know what I mean? Like, like we do not have, we do not kind of own it. So like more artists doing more work on similar things, like is only good. So I look forward to seeing your version. <laughs> well, in the end of your talk in February, you, you landed us in a series of questions. And I guess my invitation to you is, is there a, a question that, uh, yeah, like speaks to the heart of what you're wrestling with right now or what you're wondering? And if so, would you like to pose that to folks that listen to this podcast as a way to close? Yeah, I mean, I think the question I carry daily is just like, how can I be of use? What does it mean to be useful? Um, uh, and it doesn't negate, you know, I think sometimes, you know, as artists, uh, um, I know for a big chunk of my career that the, the aesthetic, the beautiful was, was primary and, and, and it's not a binary, right? It doesn't have to be either, or we can have beauty and, and, and be useful. And I think that's kind of a sweet spot for us. So, so I, so I carry, I carry that a lot with me of just, um, I, 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 there's, there's just a lot of need right now. It's just around the world and all of our community. There's just so much need, and uh, and uh, how are we, how are we helping to meet those needs? <clears throat> it's, it's just uh, it's something that uh, that I think about. Uh, yeah. It's 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 not you know it's not some big philosophical question, but it's rather kind of very practical, very kind of immediate, and, uh, but I think very urgent that we, that we do more of. <laughs> well, thank you, Mark. Thank you so much. And I'll, I'll turn it to you, Andy. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark Valdez, for this heartful moment uh, to be lost with you in conversation and reflection and to be inspired by your place-based commitment to art for community transformation. And thank you to our interviewers, Sarah Plummer and C. Miranda Flax Sermonek. You've been listening to Trustees Without Borders interview with Mark Valdez. I'm your host, Andy Morikawa. Trustees Without Borders is a podcast production of the Virginia Tech Institute for Policy and Governance. Trustees Without Borders features leading practitioners, thinkers, writers, and designers all working to strengthen community capacity for innovation and creative change. You can find an archive of Trustees Without Borders interviews and other information at our website, www.ipg.vt.edu. Until next time, remember that as trustees of community, we all may work without borders 
or limits on our ideas and aspirations without borders on what we think is possible to solve problems that keep us from achieving a just, inclusive community that works for us all. Thank you.